You may be seated. And as you're being seated, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. So we examine tonight a story that is incredibly familiar to us. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. So one thing that I lament to a certain extent each Christmas is the fact that this remarkable, life-altering, and honestly downright unbelievable story for many of us has become commonplace and ordinary. Like one of the craziest things to ever happen in the history of humanity for many of us, just kind of washes over us because we have heard it so much. And it's possible that this story has even taken on like a fairy tale-like feel to you, that it's this sort of long ago and far away and a, a magic baby visited and there were great signs and wonders. It could be for you that that's how you perceive this or how you interact with this story each year when you hear it. Among the lights and the gifts and the rush and the consumerism that is American Christmas, it can be very easy to lose sight of the fact that this was a real human event that took place in a real barn, in a real village, in uh, a real country with real people. And while it's unremarkable that a relatively poor Middle Eastern woman would give birth in squalor, it is the fact that this child, the Christ child, is in fact the creator of all things. And it makes it the most remarkable story the world has ever heard. 
Realize, though, that Mary and Joseph were the primary ones that knew like what was going on. For any other passerby, this was just another crying baby. But for Mary and Joseph, who had been visited by angels, they knew something else entirely was happening here. They were, uh, um, they were alone for most of this. There were not other people eagerly waiting for Mary to give birth because they knew this baby would be the hope of the world. Were there people waiting for the Messiah to come? Absolutely. Did they think it would look like this? No way. No way. And yet, this is the perfect beginning for the Jesus we meet in the pages of the Gospels. The perfectly humble king born in perfect humility. In fact, everything about Jesus' advent is bathed in humility. He is the creator. He made Mary and Joseph. He made the barn. He made the manger. He made the shepherds. John's gospel says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And yet he leaves his place of authority, his seat of glory, his position of being over and above all of creation, and he becomes one of us. Each week when we gather and worship, we light two candles on this altar table. And that's not just because it's symmetrical. These two candles represent Christ's dual nature. The fact that he is both God and man. Of course, we say, of course he is God. But he also comes to us as a human, as a man. And this is honestly baffling. It's baffling to me. Throughout the course of Christian history, one of the most common errors that people have made has been to want to view Jesus as either all God or all man. We want to make him all one way or all the other way because when he is both at the same time, we don't know how to process that and we're somewhat uncomfortable with that. And, and when we can say, well, he's all God or he's all man, it somehow makes him more understandable to us. He is not one or the other. In his incarnation, he is both. And that's significant. In humility, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus became lower than the angels. In humility, his birth was not celebrated the world over. There was no royal splendor at his coming. Instead, it was announced to laborers sleeping in a field. Not to kings, not to dignitaries, but to farmhands. That's who was told that the creator of all things had stepped down and become one with his creation. Much is made of the magi or the wise men who came from the east, who come far later in the story, and the gifts that they brought the Christ child. But consider this. The first ones to come, the shepherds, come empty-handed. They had the privilege of literally being invited by angels to attend the birth of the creator and savior of all things. No one else, to our knowledge, has been alerted. And they have nothing to bring except themselves. Probably dirty, probably smelly from their work. For any normal king, this would have been beyond offensive. And yet for this king, who is actually to be called the king of kings, this is exactly how he would have us come to him. 
Because in reality, we have nothing to offer him. Gold does not suffice. Frankincense does not suffice. We have nothing to offer him except our lives, ourselves, our obedience. The angels declare this message, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some older translations say peace, goodwill towards men. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Consider these words, though, in light of Hebrews 11. Here's what Hebrews 11 says. It says, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The gospel says that outside of Christ, God is not pleased with you. That outside of Christ, we have failed. We have fallen short. We have not measured up to his glorious standard. We've made everything else in this world our God. Money, pleasure, ourselves, our families. We long for him, whether we realize it or not, but we are looking for him in all the wrong places. We're looking for him in palaces when he's actually in a manger. We're desperately trying to find peace and hope and joy and happiness and the things that the scriptures clearly tell us he brings. And yet we are looking for those things in all the wrong places. And the things we're putting our hope in will never fully satisfy our longing. And you will come to the end of your life having chased after all kinds of other things and find that your life has been wasted. You will not find your Savior in an obvious place. You will not find him on a throne, in a palace, You will not find him receiving great fanfare. You will find him in a feed trough in a shed. There is no other world religion that has a story that in any way compares to this story. And yet at the end of the day, the question that God is asking you, the question that the writer of Hebrews is asking us is this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this unbelievable story? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And if you do, there is good news. Peace has come. The one thing that money and success and power can never give you, eternal peace has come. So do you believe it? Do you believe it? Is this what your life rests on? Is he the one that your life centers around? Is he the orienting axis of your existence? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, 
there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. That's who this is. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of celebrating your glorious appearance. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, that you didn't leave us in our shame, you did not leave us in our hopelessness, but peace has come through the incarnation of Christ. Thank you for the hope that is offered to us. And I pray tonight for all of us in this room that we would seek to put our hope and faith and trust squarely in the person of Jesus Christ. And that the peace that surpasses all understanding, this hope, this joy that you promised to us, Father, that that would be the result of our future in Christ. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for the truth of your word. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.